It is Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked on NBA, biggest stories, local experts of the Locked on Podcast Network. Three stops today in Los Angeles to check in with Anthony Irwin of Locked on Lakers on the impact of LeVar Ball, whether it's a news story or not, and where this is all headed. Then we'll go to Minnesota, where the Timberwolves have clicked in and check in with Colton Molesky, the host of Lockdown Wolves. And finally, to Golden State. And Aliko Carter is the host of Lockdown Warriors. He tells us what he's seeing out of the Warriors. Injured, but on fire. It's all brought to you today by SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCK to get $20 back on your first rebate on your first purchase. SeatGeek, the best way to get tickets. And remember, every Wednesday, participate in Draft Wednesday. You can do it any day of the week. But Draft is an online daily fantasy site. You can do it with online at Draft.com, or you can do it with the app. And we have a great time with Draft every single Wednesday. Use the promo code L-O-N-B-A. Let's get it going. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The Lakers can't stay out of the news. We get to talk with Anthony Irwin again on (laughs) Biggest Stories, local experts here on Locked On NBA. Anthony, let me get your Laker perspective. Is this news? I... I think it is. I think it is, and here's why. I think it, this isn't an estranged father, uh, right? So this isn't a situation where it's it's some random father who hasn't been a part of Lonzo Ball's life. This is also the the face of the franchise's dad who's talking. Um, and and if and if it turns out that the information that he's providing, if he's saying that the that Luke has lost the locker room and that's sourced information from Lonzo, that's the bigger story than whoever is providing that information. And so, yes, he is literally halfway around the world right now. <laughs> but but it doesn't take much to send a text. If Lonzo vented to him about the situation in the locker room, then. Then you have to run with it, especially if it's if it's if it's sourced and if this is actually how Alonzo feels. Then you have to run with it. You, you the, the Jeff Goodman wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't. If Jason Tatum's dad ripped Brad Stevens, Donovan Mitchell's dad ripped Quinn Snyder. News. I think so. I think so. But again, it's only if it's only if those guys' fathers do so. And, and are relaying the message that that those guys are, are are sending to their dads, right? So if 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 Jason Tatum's dad uh, is just speaking out of his rear end, then no, I don't think it's a story. But if Jeff Goodman was to find out that this is actually how Lonzo Ball feels, then yeah, I think you you have to run with it, and, and it is news. Now, I think we can have a larger discussion about whether clicks and page views and views on YouTube or whatever decides what gets covered um, and and what that means for journalism in 2018. But I, that conversation isn't being had for for whatever reason, and, and it's kind of too bad because I think that's more interesting than whether or not LeVar should have a platform. Let me give you my take on this. I think it's mm-hmm. news because this was part of the story of whether or not you should draft Lonzo Ball or not. Mm-hmm. This, this is when Lonzo Ball was being drafted, the question was whether or not LeVar Ball was a big enough distraction to devalue Lonzo Ball in an 
organization's mind? And the answer is clearly yes. And the Lakers answered no. And to me, that's the story. Yeah, he, the the Lakers have done a really poor job of managing the narrative around it. That at no point has Magic stepped up. Now they're, they're saying that they aren't going to address what Lavar Le- Ball is saying because it legitimizes whatever Lavar Ball is saying. But it's already legitimized. If ESPN is is considering it news and running articles based on what Lavar Ball is saying, then it's already legitimized. There's you, you have to at this point address it, and they had a chance to address it in the draft process. They they tried back then, and, and Magic said he didn't think it was going to be a problem. They spoke to LeVar back in November, and like, like a couple weeks later, LeVar goes out there and, and criticizes Luke publicly for the first time, and then now he's done it again. And so I think at this point, Magic was hired to help with the PR end of things, and he isn't. He He's nowhere to be seen in this, and he has to be. He, he needs to be – this is an important part of his job, and, and he's kind of fallen really short at it. Any chance LeVar's right? I think so. I think so. I mean that Luke's uh, – I think Luke is a really good young coach. I think he has a lot to learn. Um, I I a little skeptic about the way he put his his coaching staff together. I don't really see like all of these head coaches. The the best head coaches have one thing in common, and and it's voices on their coaching staff who can call them out on on BS if that if it's occurring. And Luke Walton's coaching staff is is filled with Brian Shaw, who wasn't a very good head coach, and a whole bunch of guys who he went to college with. And it makes me a little nervous that nobody has really stepped up at any point this year when Julius Randle was far and away the most impactful player, and he was still getting yanked around with minutes. And there are double standards across the roster. Contavious Caldwell-Pope can take dumb shot after dumb shot and still play, and Julius Randle makes one or two mistakes, and he gets yanked. Jordan Clarkson's minutes and roles have have varied throughout the year, and and it's hard to know whether that's Luke Walton's choice or if it's the front office kind of giving marching orders uh, based on what they're going to do in the offseason. I, I I could see this this roster this team looking at Luke as an extension of this front office and the frustrations that they might have with the front office. They might also have them with Luke, and if Lonzo is relaying that to his dad and his dad is going public with it. Uh, I it's you have to you have to treat it as as news and legitimate until it isn't. Let me make sure I understand one thing about the Lakers situation. Mm-hmm. They get their pick this year if they pick first or no, six, that, or six through thirtieth, right? No, they don't. They don't get it any regardless. It either goes to if it's first, it goes to Philly. If it's not first. If it's that that in that five to or three to whatever two six range, five, it, yep. yeah, two through five, it, it goes to Boston, and then from six up to thirty, it goes to Philly. So there's no scenario here where they where they keep their pick. It's it's really <laughs> it's really not a great situation. <laughs> All right, final thing for you, just big picture. Do you think? Mm-hmm their chances of getting marquee free agents are less good today than when the year started. Yes. Yeah, they, 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 
the situation the, the season has not played out as they would have liked not only from what they can control those injuries really derailed a season that was i mean you already kind of knew when they were playing defense like a top five team or a top 10 team you knew that they were at their ceiling and then their defense fell off of a cliff and their offense was nowhere near good enough to to withstand that kind of hit so in terms of the basketball stuff it's it's who who are they going to convince to leave winning situations and come to the Lakers? And then on top of that, you have OKC is playing really good basketball since the beginning of, of December. Uh, LeBron and the Cavs were able to keep things afloat un, until Isaiah Thomas got back, and now he's back, and, and I, I'd still take them over Boston in the East. So the situations that the Lakers needed to kind of fall apart didn't, and theirs did, and that's that's not – <laughs> that is definitely not helping their chances at signing a superstar this year. Locked on Lakers does a great job every single day covering this show that is the Lakers. It's also They also play some basketball. Anthony and Harrison bring <laughs> some good uh, kind of lightness to it as well as some good analysis. Anthony, thank you very much for the time. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Before we go to Minnesota and Colton Molesky, I want to make sure you know about Draft. So Draft is a daily fantasy site. It's not done with a salary cap. It's done with your favorite part of fantasy. Your favorite part of fantasy is the draft. And each and every day you get to do a draft, which means you can get your buddies together and you can get two of them, you can get four of them, you can get six of them, whatever you want. And before big nights of the NBA schedule, like we do every Wednesday at Locked on Jazz, you get them together, you hold a draft, you get your players. It's quick, it's simple, it's easy. The draft happens in less than five minutes. Super fun. I'm doing draft for golf with some of my buddies across the country. I did a playoff football one last week to make the football weekend much more fun. It's a great way to be involved with fantasy, but you get the advantage of having the draft each and every time. Use the promo code LONBA, and after your first deposit, you will get yourself a nice little uh, free game. So check out Draft. Either download the app or go to draft.com and enter in the promo code LONBA and find out how to play daily fantasy with the draft rather than all the experts, all the algorithms, and all the salary caps. It's great fun. For our next stop on Biggest Stories, local experts will actually talk basketball and on-the-floor basketball. A few weeks ago, we talked with Colton Molesky, host of Locked on Wolves, about a Wolves team that we felt like hadn't found an identity, hadn't really established itself yet. Colton, they must have known the same thing because they are a completely different team than we talked a few weeks ago. What has changed? Well, a few things have changed. First of all, the defense, I think, has really come along. I think Towns has been playing really consistently on both ends of the floor. I think you saw him elevate his play next to Butler. The defense has taken a jump over the last few weeks. Uh, they've gone from the bottom five in the league to now middle of the road. They're about sitting around 20, 20, uh, 21 or 20th in the NBA. So they've taken a big jump. And over the last three or four weeks, they're sitting around that 11th or 10th spot. Uh, depending on where you peg the last few weeks, but they've really taken a massive jump defensively. And you see on the offense too, I think you have guys like Tyus Jones who are really helping the flow. You didn't really see a hitch in the offense when Teague went out with the, the knee injury and Butler is still playing dominant basketball. Towns is doing really good things around the basket. And now Wiggins seems to have hit his stride, uh, a, a team that he does really well against Cleveland 
Now he, he puts up 25 against them. They're really starting to click on basically every phase of the game. And w- when they are at full tilt, they have games like this where they put up 127 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Last 15 games, I don't believe including tonight, the Wolves are the number one offense, the ninth-ranked defense, and the number one overall team in the NBA over the last 15 games. Do you believe they're that good? I don't think they'll stay at number one just because the Golden State Warriors are still in the NBA The and James Harden is going to come back to the Rockets. But I think they, they are a, a top five, top six offense because when Wiggins is really feeling his shot and knocking down shots consistently and he offers that outside range that I think you saw a little bit of tonight, you, you have him next to guys like Butler who take really efficient shots in that 18-foot range, and he even was stretching the floor tonight. And then Towns, who has really found his stride around the basket and into the paint. And when you have uh, an all-star level talent, when they're playing like all-stars and they're hitting in so many different areas of the offense, they really fit nicely together. And so that allows for just all of them to not only take enough shots to really get in rhythm, but they're not stealing each other's shots either. And this is definitely the best version of this offense which I think means that if they can somehow stay consistent uh, through the rest of the way, then they can stay in that top five, top six range of offense. So I think this is sustainable, not to number one, but definitely one of the most dangerous in the in the league. Let's walk back through some of our past conversations on this segment on Lockdown NBA. One of the things you and I talked about early was that when I had done my research, Minnesota was the team that actually had the, the toughest job ahead. They had the most possessions of any – roster even more than Oklahoma City with between Teague and Butler and Gibson who actually uses more than anyone realizes and early in the year it seemed like that bothered them Butler took the backseat he was going to be the one who took the 25 percent fewer possessions but then all of a sudden to me and talking to people around the league the feeling was that Jimmy Butler said screw it this is my team is that what happened, and if so, when? I wouldn't say it's as much as he was saying, screw it, this is my team, I'm taking over. I think that the first few months you saw Butler allow young guys like Towns and Wiggins to get into the flow of the offense together and really learn how to play next to each other. And then he said in December, and it started in December, you saw a little bit at the end of November, but it really started in December where he said, all right, this is what the team actually looks like. I'm going to be at the helm of the scoring, and now this is a test for you young guys. You've got to step up. And you've got to find your role next to me because I'm I'm the number one guy. This is why I'm in Minnesota, to be the number one option. And now you've got to find your spot next to me. And I think Towns found his spot a lot sooner than Wiggins. You saw him have a really great December. He averaged 26 points and 11 rebounds in December. He found that spot faster. But now Wiggins is starting to find a stride in this offense next to a dominant Butler. And so this is really just... I think the veteran leadership of, of Butler, where he is saying, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys kind of figure out the first few months and kind of get in the groove of this offense. And I'm going to test you because uh, the rubber meets the road. And this is what the offense is actually going to look like. Cause most of it's going to run through me, which is what you want, which is why you brought me here. And now you've got to find a spot next to me. And the result is now you see the, the pieces falling into place. And I think this is the best version of the offense where they're falling into place around Butler instead of Butler trying to fit them into certain spots because he has to take a step back. And then late game, it's Jimmy's show. Oh, absolutely. And that's it really comes down to, I think, when you have a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers and you have a guy like LeBron or if you're Boston with Kyrie Irving or Washington with, with John Wall, you want your best player to have the ball in his hands and to be the one who takes the last shot. And you're just going to trust that he's going to make the – 
the right decision because that's what he's paid to do, and that's his talent level. That's what he dictates. And Jimmy Butler is definitely hands down that guy for Minnesota. And so even in the game like the Brooklyn Nets where he misses that last shot, I'm totally fine with him taking it because that's the guy you want to be making those decisions. Why do I like this team more with Tyus Jones at the helm than Jeff Teague? Because Tyus Jones does the little things every single game instead of some games. He's the one who's way more scared to make a mistake than to try and he would rather make he would try he'd rather make guys around him better than make the mistake. He's not gonna go out for points, he's not gonna try and get up a bunch of stats. He's gonna try and make sure everybody's in their in their spot and doing their job and get the offense in the right spots and he's not going to make a, a crucial mistake. And he's going to get turnovers. He's really good. You saw that tonight against against the Cavaliers. He was in all around the ball. He ended up with a couple steals. He was making problems for the Cleveland Cavaliers passing the ball. He's the one who's going to be disruptive on defense, and he's going to do the little things that I think T doesn't necessarily do every single night. Final question I always like to ask you, what are the things that are going on from a local perspective that you as the local expert know that for the rest of us from 30,000 feet are missing out on? I think that the Butler MVP conversation as an underrated MVP candidate is very real, especially in Minnesota. And I think that over the next month, you're going to really hear it go national, is that Butler should be considered as one of the serious contenders for MVP. And it's still LeBron James to lose, but he should be one of the contenders up there with LeBron James vying for the MVP. Number one team over the last 15 games, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Colt Molesky, host Locked on Wolves, does great work with it. Thank you very much for the time on the Biggest Stories, local experts. And our final stop on the Biggest Stories, local experts. We've got to check in with the Warriors, who've regained the number one seed in the West. Steph Curry is back. And Aliko Carter, host of Locked on Warriors, joins us. Does this team look as good as you thought they would again? Is this the Warrior team clicking in? Well, definitely yes, but you have you have to also look at their health. They haven't been healthy the entire season, and Kevin Durant is still out. Uh, Steph Curry also nursing a knee situation that was aggravated last night, so it's not clear what uh, his situation is going to be going forward. There's some feeling out there around the league that this team doesn't have the vibe it once had. It's a little angry. It seems... I don't know if it's either angry or bored or frustrated. What's your feeling on how this team feels similar or different than years past? I definitely think there's a swagger to this team where they feel like they're not necessarily getting the respect from referees that they necessarily deserve. And it's, definitely uh you know being seen in the technical numbers uh they're leading the uh Draymond Green is leading the league in technical fouls uh, Kevin Durant has uh two ejections and uh they, they really have I wouldn't call it a chip on their shoulder. How can you have a chip on your shoulder coming off of a championship win? But there definitely is a little bit of a chippiness in the, in their relationship with the referees. They don't feel like they're always getting the calls they deserve. Do you think there's anything negative to this? Um, I think it's only going to help them moving forward. Whatever negativity they um, they garner is only going to help them in their minds, except until, except and until Draymond Green hits that uh, technical foul limit, and he's coming up on that pretty quickly, so he's going to have to watch out for that. That's the only thing I would watch out for as far as uh, a bad thing coming out of this chippiness. Um, 
you know, the team is clicking offensively, still the best offensive team in the league, and the defense is, is there. So I don't necessarily think that their antics are going to keep them from playing good basketball. In regards to Draymond's referee claim the other day, is he ignorant to the fact that his that he is still responsible for his own actions? If that does that make sense? Like from the outside, <laughs> from the outside world, yeah. it's like, what does he not see? Yeah, I thought that that that, uh, that extended comment period on Saturday was really unnecessary, especially in a game where um, where Blake Griffin took a big hit. Uh, and ended up with a concussion, and that wasn't called uh, a foul, even though it could have been. Um, when you have a guy go out, a superstar go out with a concussion, and you're unhappy with the calls on the other side, that could be seen as uncouth, definitely. I definitely think that Draymond is having a little bit of, of fun. Whenever he goes on an extended rant and he knows he's going to lose money, he gets into it because he knows he's going to lose money. So it's it's uh, it's fun for him to really – get his point across, even though he knows he's going to lose money. And like I said, he was fined $25,000 for those comments. So, uh, you know, uh, it's just, it's Draymond being Draymond. A few years ago, this team was the number one offense and the number one defense in the NBA. That had been done very few times. The Bulls 72 win team had been the previous only other team, the late sixties, early seventies Lakers team. Right now they're number one offensively, number three defensively, and kind of have been, I think, coasting defensively. Is this team better than any other Warrior team we've seen yet? When they put it together, where where do you feel that they sit compared to the other versions of this team? Well, it's certainly the deepest Warriors team we've ever seen, and we see it on both ends of the court. They have rangy guys who can switch and get their assignments right defensively, so they definitely have a well-deserved defensive rating. But the one uh, stat that really is, is jumping out to me is the efficiency of the offense, and specifically the three main scorers, KD, Curry, and Clay Thompson, all very close to averaging 50, 40, 90 this year. No no pair of teammates has ever done it. If three teammates were to do it in the same season, that would be absolutely unprecedented. And they're driving the Warriors' efficiency across the board. We tried to talk ourselves into the Houston storyline. I presented the little story that's murmuring around the league. They seem unhappy. Are these all just because it would be too boring for us to concede that the season is already over? <laughs> Well, the season is certainly not over. Um, the, the, the Houston Rockets are definitely a threat. The Cleveland Cavaliers are a threat. And quietly, there's a lot of other teams in the West that are playing good basketball. Uh, the Warriors have the toughest strength of schedule month in the NBA in January, and they're about to go on a really very important five-game roadie. They're going to make stops in Milwaukee, uh, uh, a few other places before ending up in Houston again. And those are going to be very, very consequential games. You can't expect the Warriors to win them all. And uh, the Houston Rockets, once they get James Harden back, uh, th- that is the one test. Are they going to have Harden back by the time the Warriors face them in Houston next week? And if so, what is that matchup going to look like? Because if th- this is the last time they're going to face the Houston Rockets, and if they don't see Harden, then it's going to be you know you wait until the conference finals, and and then we'll have to see. I don't think it's I don't think it's a 
decided at all in the Western Conference. Aliko Carter is the host of Locked On Warriors, and we always like to end these conversations with kind of the local point of view from the guy covering them day in and day out. What are you seeing? What's going on with this team that everybody else from 30,000 feet is not taking note of? Uh, well, this team gives back in a way that is absolutely uh, I, I wouldn't say unprecedented in the NBA, but they have a connection to the Bay Area fans that's been unprecedented uh, for for the Bay Area. And I had a nice conversation with Clay Thompson. He's got a lot of developments philanthropically coming out uh, over the next few months that I'm going to be on top of. And uh, it's it's really amazing to me how these guys from 30,000 feet uh, can concentrate on an 82-game season and still find time to, say, give away turkeys on Thanksgiving or have a toy drive for Christmas or, um, you know, all of these other things that these guys are doing. And I think it's really special. And they have, they've connected with the Bay Area fans in a way uh, because of their genuineness that, uh, you know, even if they don't win the championship this year, we'll forgive them. Uh, 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 yeah, let's hold our horses on whether fans are forgiving teams that don't win championships. <laughs> nothing, nothing for a brief moment, maybe. But if the, I mean, quite honestly, if the Warriors don't win the championship this year and they only get it two out of four, it's a weird statement. But for where they I think they place in the history of the league, I would call that a big disappointment. I'd agree with you there. I'd agree with you there. When Kevin Durant made his big decision to come to the Warriors, uh, what I saw was an opportunity for greatness that had been unprecedented since the 1960s. We've seen three-peats. The Bulls did the three-peat. The Lakers did the three-peat. We've seen three-peats. No team since the Celtics in the 60s has won four in a row, and I think that's the high watermark that the Warriors need to be working for if they're going to go down in the Pantheon as, as like the greatest team of the new millennium and one of the greatest teams of all time. Aliko Carter is the host of Locked on Warriors. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. And this has been another edition of the biggest stories from the local experts, the Locked On Podcast Network, covering your teams every day on the Locked On Podcast Network.